Uh, hey, this is Devin Gordon, author of So Many Ways to Lose, The Amazing True Story of the New York Mets, The Best Worst Team in Sports, and you are listening to Verbal Shenanigans. But our shenanigans are cheeky and fun. Yeah, I mean, his shenanigans are cruel and tragic. Which makes them not shenanigans at all, really. Evil shenanigans. I swear to God, I'll pistol whip the next guy that says shenanigans. Hello, everybody. Hello, folks. Welcome on back. Verbal Shenanigans Podcast. Welcome new listeners, old listeners, rebellions, uh, you know, uh, the shenanigang, whatever you want to call it, and whoever else is with us. Uh, welcome to the show again. Uh, this week, Mike, we're coming off of a little little episode with the one and only D. Snyder of Twisted Sister. We got a lot of cool reactions on that. the interview. It was really awesome. And then uh, life returned back to normal, and um, we were supposed to start recording about 25 minutes ago, and I had to go and help administer a suppository into my son. So it's a cycle of life, Mike. Hmm. Uh, do you have to get, like, special suppositories for kids? Do they sell baby suppositories? Well, I'm pretty sure they work? sell them, but we have a nurse friend who worked in the NICU that gave gave us a bunch of them when he was born, and we just had them in the fridge since. Oh, so you got the hookup on the baby. Yeah, so if anybody so. needs a suppository, <laughs> please email. Uh, if you buy a shirt, we throw in suppositories for free now. It's 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 mm. a really good deal. Do you think they just use regular suppositories and cut it down to baby size? That's what I was – it's literally what I asked my wife. I was like, is this – because I've never taken a suppository. Um I don't have an experience, and like they came in kind of big wrappers, and I thought they were huge, and then we opened them up, mm. and they're real tiny. I don't even know if we really got it in. Um, <laughs> we tried, but it kept falling out, so I don't know. We poked it in there, so hopefully we'll have some uh, a poo payday, if you will, mm. in, a, in a few minutes or an hour or so, but uh, really, really tiny, really tiny, like uh, the size of your the length of your fingertip kind of like it was not not a very large thing which i guess makes sense considering it's not a very large um entrance so are you sure they gave you baby suppositories they accidentally give you a pack of tic tacs yeah it, a little bigger probably like three tic tacs three tic tacs together hmm. yeah, not big not big were they I, minty fresh i didn't try one yet i didn't i didn't uh <sighs> indulge in one but Maybe as a family, we should all take the baby suppositories and kind of like have a bonding kind of thing. Yeah, that'd be mm. nice, you know. And it's that when when you're trying to think of what to send as the picture for the Christmas card. Ah, just have the whole family just like <laughs> you know putting suppositories in and put like a little finger over the mouth. It's like ooh, it's it's naughty, but it's Christmas, so like it's we're, holy. We're giving people coal, like something like that, like you know, like a nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> have you ever taken one? suppository yeah i when i was because uh, i uh, there was a scare for a time in my mid-20s where they thought i had like uh, colon cancer right. so that had to take those and all. i mean uh, nothing to write home about great feelings i mean the worst fight thing about it is like you put it in and then like instantly it's like ah I feel like I gotta go to the bathroom. It's like, well, if I go to the bathroom, now I'm gonna have to do the process all over again. They're yeah, not in there. Like, how long? Enough. How long does it take to work? It's not like instant, right? 
I don't know the official answer. Like, I can't give it to you to the minute, but I guess it should be in there for at least a good half an hour or so. I mean, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I for mean, you, like, when you used one, was it like, okay, like a quick reaction, or was it like, okay, I can go on with my day and then, like, uh oh, a couple minutes later? Well, I can go about my day, but like, sometimes when you put it in, it, it really feels like you got to go to bed. And yeah. sometimes it's like, you got to go and then you just got to plop another one in there and go about your day, you know? Ah, you, very you nice. Don't cry ver- over sp- spilled suppositories, Scott. I've been telling you that for years now. You use the best verbs. You plop, plop, plop another <laughs> suppository in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> plop. I don't get gentle. It's like, I know the drill. Throw it in there. <laughs> you just Let's do- see what happens. You just do it for fun at this point, right? You're, yeah, you're, you know. Nothing I mean, going on on a Friday night. Scott, I had to kill time during COVID. So, I mean, <laughs> you, you got to do what you got to do. COVID for you was like a year and a half long just butt experiment, right? Just test. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, let's see what happens here. No, no, hot peppers don't go there. No, bad idea. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so that was... The classy a, podcast. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome uh, to the show. So, yeah, like, uh, that it was that was an interesting experience. And, again, I don't, like, I'm holding in my wife's tried to insert and it was coming out and i tried to do the the insertion part of it and i don't know we eventually went up there but i don't know if it's like sitting in his diaper right now i have no idea but um, like you didn't read the directions well the direction you do know you put them in its mouth right <laughs> uh-oh. oh man uh-oh mike i'll be right back <laughs> honey the we we we're bad parents uh, we gotta call somebody <laughs> But yeah, so like I said, we are um, we are coming off one of our our larger interviews we've ever done, which was uh, Dee Snyder last week. So if you're just tuning in, we're not all suppository talk. It's not generally our um, our main topic. It, say in the comments if you want that, because we'll do it. <laughs> I mean, we'll be like Mr. Snyder. I know you want to come back, but unless you have a suppository story. We're just not interested right now. Yeah, if I mean, if you want like a nice ten minute chunk every week, like suppository segment, um, we'll do yeah. it. We'll do it. We'll have music and everything. We'll have a theme song. You know. Yeah, we we have no scruples. We will do anything to grow this audience. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I um, I had nothing happen to me in the last three days, so this could be a very short episode. Oh. Scotty, I feel bad for you. You had a boring three days. Aww. Very boring. Very boring. Nothing going on. Just doing classwork and housework and, and dad duty. That's essentially been my life. Well, what I've learned, Scott, is when I'm bored, like when I enter <laughs> to the room. A, plop a suppository. Well, oh, that's and, one ha- hang on out. <laughs> Scott, I have very different ways of entertainment. What I do is I just open the door to my house and look at my wife and I just yell, entertain me. Right. How does that yeah. work? She's like, okay, um, let's go build the Star Wars bathroom. And you're like, oh, God damn it. Yeah, yeah, that's usually one. She, she's like, oh, and then she has ideas. I'm like, stop entertaining me. <laughs> I want to be bored like, again. <laughs> <laughs> any update on the Star Wars bathroom? Is there any progress? Since- There's nothing and we're going to, again, I will use as much Force? Like, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Force and plopping. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know about you. Did anything occur in your life, Michael? 
Well, I, I will say um, I was very sad uh, on Monday, Scott. I'm not sure you saw over the weekend, but uh, I was being a big growing up in New Jersey with the New York radio scene. Uh, I mean, obviously, ah. Howard Stern and Opie and Anthony, but some a group that's generally, I don't want to say underrated, but maybe not always brought up with yeah, Ron and Fez. A little bit overlooked, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean they were they were just so unique with their 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 comedy work, the way they worked with their audience, and just the <laughs> uh, the back and forth with Ron being kind of almost like Italian boss kind of vibes and all, and busy yeah. feminine vibes. But I was very sad to uh, hear that uh, Fez Watley passed away over the weekend. Yeah, Ron and Fez are great, man. Um... The bet I thought the best time was when um, the uh, K Rock here in, in New Jersey, New York, it was ninety two three. I don't know what other stations it was elsewhere, but um, <laughs> when they when they went to that talk format and it was Opie and Anthony followed by Ron and Fez followed by Nick DePaul in the afternoon. It was like a great like uh, that might have not been the order. It, but it was close to whatever it was. They, they all had shows. Yeah. I get those. And I loved all three of those shows in different ways. But yeah, I always thought Fe- Ron and Fez definitely brought something completely different to the table. Like Fez was like such a unique, unique character, very like feminine, but also just like kind of a crazy dirtbag at the, at the same time. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I guess, I guess he hadn't been doing every once in a while. I'll listen to, uh, Bennington has a show now with his daughter. Um, yep. so the, Ron Bennington, if you haven't heard, is one of the best, like, one of the best radio hosts ever. He's just smooth and talented and, like, very, very funny and just a really good radio host. Um, and he, he talked about Fez. I don't think Fez has been doing good, doing great for a while now. No, what he had, like, a major heart attack about three months ago or seven months ago, they said, where, like, they had to put induce him into a coma and then like slowly bring him out to see how his heart would go and he came out of it and he was doing fine but apparently the previous monday he had the same kind of thing and then like on saturday they tried to bring him out of coma but apparently as they brought him out of coma his heart gave yeah. out again had another heart attack and he went and uh yeah i was um I listened to the show and uh, I, I can't deny I was in my car. I was tearing up, man, and all because that that was a good part of my twenties and all. Just driving to work or college or anything like that, listening to those uh, those guys along with O and A and Stern before that. And it was the real hard thing to do and all. And I really think they were really talented at like not only coming up with a bit but like they, they could hold on to the stick for like two hours straight and like not skip a beat yeah they were they were um they were just always very different which i always liked about them like you know o and a i was a big o and a fan for for a point um you know they still slid into the shock jock thing a lot but i never felt like ron and fez were quite that they i felt like they were a very unique show they were never like super political or anything they were just like two funny dudes and they're super like really good dynamic together so that is a uh a pretty major loss it's um it's funny you say that like i just like two weeks ago i went into like kind of like a little bit of a wormhole of like seeing if um (laughs) if opie and anthony have communicated at all like like 
and they have over the years like there was a point where Anthony was calling in to Opie when Opie still had like um it was just like I think it was just called Opie Radio on Sirius. Yeah. It was like an afternoon show. And mm-hmm. Anthony called in a few times and it seemed like they got along, but they it seems like they hate each other again. Opie, man. He is just one bitter individual. Like Jim and Anthony still do Jim's podcast like every week together, the Chip Chipperson podcast. <laughs> uh, Jim does goes on Compound Media every once in a while. Like they seem to have talked about it very openly, and like, and Opie is just he just can't get over it, man. And you could tell like when he puts on his terrible Facebook Live videos. It's, a lot of times it's like him fishing, and you can barely hear anything he's saying. It's just like. People are just trolling him nonstop, like, like, uh, oh, you're nothing with uh, Anthony, but and he can't block it out, man. He was like, ah, I don't care about Anthony. I don't. Care. I told you, we. I don't care about. Anthony. And you, God, you could tell without those two, where the comedic <laughs> talent was on that show. Yeah, he was definitely like the straight man, and yeah. uh, Anthony just knew how the right things, and they had the right bunch of people. Where I don't want to say it hid Opie, but it was enough where it's it like did. It did. you always naturally assume, oh yeah, the two are equals, blah blah blah. But then, like, kind of like you say, you look back, it's kind of like, yeah, that was it was Anthony, it was Jimmy, it was the guest. The, Opie would just like throw in a thing out out there, and he'd be like, shut up. Yeah, and then the like, I I doubt like I deep dove into YouTube clips of like Opie getting upset about things, and it's so clear like Jimmy and Anthony would be like riffing on something for a long time and like getting great, you know, hilarious stuff like the two of them. And Opie would start getting like sour about it. He'd be like, okay, come on, we got to move on. Like, like, no, you don't have to move on. There's no, like, there's no reason to move. And like, yeah, maybe he was a good producer. Yeah, like maybe he, uh, he kind of put that show together, but it is pretty clear. Like at least halfway through that show, the rest of them just pulled, <laughs> pulled ahead and really nobody like, his jokes never landed. <laughs> like he always kind of felt out of place. And the, the the golden age of that show was when every day it was Patrice was on, uh, Bill Burr, Colin Quinn, Rich Voss, Robert Kelly. When all basically, essentially, like the tough crowd crew was on Opie and Anthony all the time, and they would just just dump on each other for hours on the radio. That was to me like their best stuff when the, all those guys were in the studio, and it was just. One joke after the other, hammer, 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 hammer. And you could see how Opie, who's not a comic, neither is Anthony, but he was definitely the comedy guy on the show. Yeah, he could hang. And you could see where he just got kind of pushed out. And and apparently those guys didn't talk to each other for like 12 years while working together. Well, I think a lot of it is a – I've heard stories to talk about. It's like when the whole kind of things where they get in trouble – where like Anthony and Jim would kind of like go, you know, defend themselves, talk about the show, talk about the reins. He was always kind of like the whimpering, please don't fire me kind of type. Like I remember Jim talking about uh, like when they had a face to face with Howard Stern and like Anthony and Jim would just walk up. Hey, Howard, how's it going? And they had like conversation with him. Like Opie was just cowering and, Super jealous. Kind of like with a sex for Sam where Opie was acting like I had nothing to do with this or yeah, I didn't yeah. recommend this. And they're like, you're the one who literally brought up. Let's have somebody score points by having sex in a church. Yeah. 
And like those other guys have gone on and moved on and have done, you know, they've done their stuff. And Jimmy's still top notch comedian. He's got his podcast. He was on that TNT thing. Got a role in the Irishman. Like he's still doing. Anthony's got his whole network that he's doing. He's actually moving to like South Carolina apparently. Um, he's got his fan base, and I feel like Opie just not have much left to hang on man you, you know what it's kind of like it's kind of like when um if like a group you know you and a bunch of friends get in trouble in school and they're like we're putting this on your permanent record you have some of the kids who sit back and say i already know this means nothing and even if it means anything i'm gonna move on i'm gonna do my thing i'm gonna make my money and i'm gonna do what i want to do where the others just go oh, oh permanent record oh, i'm trying to go to college i'm trying to do one of the job looks yeah. at my records blah, 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 blah. and it's it's just like the spiel of him not getting over everything that happened and just not over hell, the smartest thing he could have done was like staying radio don't, don't call yourself opie like i obviously people would know your name but just i don't know off the top of my head i don't know what opie's real name is but just go on hey, hey this Greg. is chris gallows and whatever yeah, Greg, and just Greg, go about uh, your day. Greg, Greg, something. Um, but yeah, um, if I was him, I would have tried to stick with that. He had like the drive time slot, like the uh, I think it was like three o'clock on Sirius, and he had like a stable of guys who were on that show every day, like Sherrod Small and a bunch of guys. Like I would have just stuck with that and try to separate yourself from like you. He's a guy that is completely living in the past. Like, no radio show lasts forever. Basically, Howard Stern's the only radio show that's lasted forever. And he's just a, a massive control freak. So, you know, it, it makes sense. But, you know, those guys, they had their heyday. I don't even know if if they got back together, if if it would be there would be any magic left in the, in the tank. Like, I, I think that ship has sailed. I think that style of radio has kind of sailed a little bit. And uh, I think Jim and Jim and Anthony are better off on their own. Yeah, they like they knew what their talents were. They continued it. I mean, Jimmy getting with Sam. Jim and Sam's a good amazing. show, man. It's a great yeah, show. Amazing setup. Like who would have known just from him being an intern to full on host? I mean, it worked perfectly. And like I said, the other guys just said, "Okay, I know what who I am. I know how media works. I'm going to make a career." Opie's still saying back saying I deserve better than what right. happened. And it's like, dude, you just find something. You don't have to do the same thing you're doing and all do, do a host a TV show. Dude. Like I said, it's dude, also, it's just also, be a DJ. It's also 2021, 20, whatever it is. Like you don't need XM to really start something on your own. I know he's dude, but I, I tried listening to like one of his podcasts. It was like a microphone set up in a diner and him like trying to interview like the it was so bad. Like the oh, you hear clink, 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 clink. Like it was just like zero effort. You could just tell there was nothing that he wanted to bring to the table. And it's just, uh, and, and every time I do go back, every once in a while, I'll go back and listen to like some old clips. The only thing that I come out with it is that, goddamn, I miss Patrice O'Neill, man. Uh, that guy was just such a unique. He would have been. Yeah. He would have if he got it right. Like that last special, that elephant in the room special, so brilliant. And I think he was finally maybe getting it together a little bit. If he he would have been in the Chappelle, Burr, like Segura, like those biggest comics working right now, because everyone with pod with the advent of podcasting, 
how good would Patrice have been? Just he, he'd be amazing. Like that's what he was doing with ONA, just talking, giving advice, BSing, like being Patrice. He would have a podcast that everybody would love. He would get the recognition from because there was this, you know, the whole Rogan boom with him, like really kind of building comics up and making them more supportive of each other. Like that whole group exploded. The Kreischers, the Seguros, the like all of them. Patrice would have been right there. He would have been as big as any comic out there right now. Oh, easily. You almost wish you'd go back and convince him, listen, one time, play ball. Yeah. I, I know your pride. I know everything about you. Do this one thing. Get yeah. your name a little bit higher than be Patrice 24-7. Did you, did you see the uh, documentary in the Comedy Central one on him? I got I missed it when really it came good. out. I got to try it out. Uh, really good. Um it, it really interesting, some stories of like uh, him coming up and stuff like that, it, and like the, his family life is really interesting. But uh, it just he just shot himself in the foot every opportunity he got. He just could not keep his mouth closed, and, and that's what it comes down. To. But his joke writing man was just ridiculous, and uh, and it, even his joke writing, I miss him more that conversational that he was so freaking good on O and A. He was probably the best part of that show at one point. Yeah. Oh, he easily, like, and he was so lethal. Like if he like messes up on something, you didn't dare oh. correct him because he would chew you out, and it would be so brilliant, and everybody in the room would be tearing up. And he wouldn't even blink an eye. You would have no prey. You couldn't be like a B-lister or try to come back at Patrice O'Neill. Tough crowd was literally the Colin Quinn and Patrice O'Neill show, and then everybody else that was funny. Like Patrice just <laughs> talked over everyone, just yeah, like just obnoxious Patrice, and he just he was the reason that show was so successful. You had Colin, the straight man, running the show. And then he, Patrice was on probably 80% of the episodes of that show. And oh, the like, ones where he wasn't on was just – it wasn't the same. Um, yeah. That show was fantastic, too. That 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 show and the O&A when they brought everybody in, that that is what comedy podcasts are now. That's what it, it – Easily. That's what it is. It's people BSing, telling stories, dumping all over each other. That's what podcasts are now, most of the comedy podcasts. It's just – they didn't do interviews. They, they just – BS and just tore each other to the shreds and that's they they were well ahead of their time and everyone's always like bring tough crowd back I don't think he could now just nah, too offended it, just, it, it was right for its time it would it would just be another show right, right now it, it's like when people say we let, reboot this movie it's like no it worked in that era you don't get it if I put it here you're going to go, ah. Yeah, and the the way the PC police, if that was on a network, it would stink. If he put it out on his own, it would have a chance of being good. But I don't think, if you're Colin Quinn, do you want to do that again? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think Colin so. Colin Quinn's into his one-man uh, shows about history and just being really brilliant with that stuff. I don't think he wants to go back to producing a show every night or, or once a week. I don't think so, man. You don't need the networks anymore. You don't you, like you literally do not need them. If you if you have a name, you could you could just do your own thing. Like there's no reason to be like told what to do or bought by a company and can't do this, can't do that. As long as the internet is free, which you know, we'll see Give one day. Time. Exactly. As long as that's it's kind of free standards on the internet, you don't need 
you don't need a uh, big corporate backing at all. But uh, anyway, but we need corporate backing. We so do. Please fund us. So that, we will do tough crowd. We'll do O and A. Whatever you want, we are uh, we are uh, free agents. <laughs> you Easily. Think- you think, Mike, if when me and you die, um, anybody will be crying for us in the car? Like, oh man, I missed that podcast. Uh, I mean, Groovy Jones been uh, <laughs> been loving us. Yeah. Uh, Don Bagnato. Well, yeah, maybe Harry might cry. That's that's kind of. That, that I might mean, be they it. might cry. It's like, damn it, I got to go to a funeral on my Sunday off. Yeah, like how many? Damn it! Ugh. Think about how many hours I wasted listening to this nonsense. Did, but did he hire bagpipes? Oh God! <laughs> I gotta sit through this. Are they playing the theme song to Verbal Shenanigans? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so let's go from one uh, cult following uh, Ron and Fed to another cult following um, that is also a disaster, <laughs> and that is that of the New York Mets. Um, you know, uh, I am a diehard Met fan. Um, that's probably that's probably been my longest team paying attention to. Even when I, even when I was a kid, my grand my mom would be like, "You used to like rifle off stats of like baseball cards and just watch the '86 Mets video." It was them and the Devils were my two sports growing up. Football, I didn't get real into till like high school, like till I actually hmm. followed it. Like I yeah. liked football, but I didn't know anything about it. Um, and then these days, it's kind of like, I like I go through phases where I'm really into MMA, really into football, really into soccer. Um, hockey's kind of taking a backseat over the years. But anyway, we're getting off topic here. So, Mike, who do we got tonight? Uh, tonight, Scott, we're going to be talking with Devin Gordon. He's a, a contributing writer for numerous publications, including the New York Times Magazine, ESPN The Magazine, GQ, The Atlantic, and The Guardian. But uh, what we're going to be focusing on tonight is the book that he just released, which is called So Many Ways to Lose, The Amazing True Story of the New York Mets, The Best Worst Team in Sports. It's only appropriate that we started this episode talking about suppositories, and we have a guy (laughs) coming on to talk about how awful the Mets are. So if the suppository was a major league team, it would be the New York Mets. Maybe that's one of the, could have been their one of those names <laughs> when they were voting on the New York <laughs> the suppository. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. would be way more interesting looking <laughs> that way. <laughs> anyway, without further ado, here is author Devin Gordon. Hey guys! Hey, as, hey, as, Devin. as soon as you Can come you on, yeah, yeah, as soon as you come on, the Mets blow it. Thank you, thank you for <laughs> thank you for doing that. Wait, wait, wait! <laughs> I'm not done yet. I got it right here. We haven't finished. Haven't finished blowing it. Yeah. So don't get ahead of yourself. We're just on our the way. This is starting. <laughs> <laughs> I see Michael's going like this. I see the Phillies ads. Yeah, just just ignore yeah. him. <laughs> just ignore him. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, it's not like we're doing any better. We, mm-hmm. you guys had the first place forever. Then we took it, and now we're both staring at each other. Like, who was looking at the Braves? I have been saying for about two weeks that the only thing that gives me faith in this season, which I probably shouldn't have, and will probably we run out of it in about five minutes is that the other teams stink yeah the other teams stink yeah. and 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 now it's turning out that maybe the braves don't completely stink so i don't know well I don't we, know. it's not looking good we completely stink the mets are just horrendous they can't get out of their own way so um 
it, it, it's pretty appropriate time that we bring you on the show. We're in the midst of like a what is a fourteen out of nineteen losing streak, yep. and that that normal po- post All Star break uh, collapse is well underway. It's like that. It's that time of year, you know. Some people look forward it's to the that summer. Time of year. Um, Mets fans know it's coming. We're always good up until the All Star break, and then it falls apart. Um, when this book, when my book was uh, about the Mets was supposed to come out, it was originally scheduled pre-COVID. It was originally scheduled to come out um, a year ago this time, exactly like a year ago this time, mid-August. Right. And it was timed under the assumption that we would either be making some kind of, you know, five percent chance that we would be making a miraculous, you know, <laughs> ironic run to something which is you know very small chance or they were going to be enacting the the thought the the operating principle of the book uh as the book was coming out and so you know we had the right idea we just had the wrong year so what are you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so Devin, uh just to introduce you to the audience this is Devin gordon the author of the book so many ways to lose the amazing true story of the new york mets the best worst team in sports so right off the bat, I got to ask you, like, as I was like uh, uh, looking through the beginnings of the book and all, you're going through the whole history of the team. Yes. How much percentage did you know about stuff and how much was it when, like, as you were uncovered, it, you were saying like figures? Yeah. So there's there's probably a dividing line, right? And the dividing line is my arrival as a Mets fan in the story, which is somewhere around 1985, right? So from 1985 on, um, you know, my understanding of what happened is pretty good, I would say. But then there's the reality that from 1985 on, there's also a lot more out there. There's a lot more documentation. So even though I probably know more, there's more to know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And pre my birth um, was the stuff that's, um, I was really thin on, you know, I knew some of the greatest hits, right? I think right. the things that, you know, particularly 69 and 62, you know, the sort of yin and yang of, of Mets existence, right? You learn all about those. If you, if you, if you had been through enough rain delays as a kid, you would have seen enough yeah. 62, 69 highlights. Yeah. And then you'd also hear probably about 73 when the Mets came from last place almost at exactly a moment like this, quite honestly, <laughs> to win a division, not unlike this one where everybody seemed to be giving it away. And maybe you know that one, and then you know that we we came one game shy of beating Reggie Jackson in the World Series that year in that A's dynasty. So that was 73. And I didn't know a lot about that stuff. I knew that I didn't know anything about anything around it. And even those stories, when you sort of got deeper and deeper into them, that was the experience was no matter what I knew, there were always five things more Metsy that I didn't know. And that was pretty consistent. That was pretty consistent across all eras, but I think it was definitely true the further back that you got, that everything, everything, it's just like you could count on, if you thought you were done, if I thought I was done researching and I had like the cherry on top, and I, I would always like tell myself, just just go a little bit deeper because there's probably two more cherries in there. You know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. that's what it always was with the Mets, right? And I almost think we're seeing it with this team, right? Like yes. today. So this has been a terrible game. I can't believe <laughs> the Mets have not won this game. And, you like, can't? I, I don't know if you know, see what's going on. I mean, on the one hand, of course I can't. But, like, they lost their starting pitcher to an injury in, like, the second inning. And we still couldn't score. Like, 
it, they haven't driven in a natural RBI without making an out or without being gifted a base runner this whole game. And <laughs> and 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 the manager has been making bizarre moves left and right. The owner owners and calling out is, the players right now. It's it's been an the owners calling yep. out the players yep. and the GM is sort of passive aggressively calling out the <laughs> players and the owner is just like screw this. I'm just going to go right at it. Which <laughs> yeah, I almost respect. I like it. And, and now you've got like. Phillies fans kind of snorting at us, right? I mean, they're, they're I mean, the I know you they're guys just the are... worst people, aren't they? It's the worst. Well, I mean, we could. <laughs> I'm sure at some point maybe we could get into the Mets Phillies rivalry because you know the Mets Phillies rivalry is a weird, underrated, underappreciated yep. thing. That's ve- it's very intense, but no one ever thinks of it. And Michael, I'm kind of curious if you have we don't have to do this now because i'm sure it'll come up but like i think one of the reasons why is because we never quite seem to be good at the same time i was just gonna say the same thing we we always go like that I would say yeah it's always that thing where like we're both looking at each other like oh we just got to get that trophy first no we deserve it blah 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 and we're just looking at each other fighting meanwhile it's always you know the Braves go up there. Yeah, the, or the Nationals, or somebody. Yeah, Nationals, yeah. or then it's like, haha, we won the division and get smacked by the Rockies in the playoffs or something like that. It's, <laughs> it's so yeah. rare. It's like we could turn to the other fans and go, ha, we I, got. It. I also it, think it's like the Mets and Phillies just have long droughts too. It's just like long periods yeah. of time we're bad, where it's not like we're perennially good and always battling each other, like. It just, like it's like oh we're good this year and then you know one of those teams is falling off the next year it's kind of it, it's very similar Mike Mike is a Washington uh, we'll call him football team football fan team. and I'm a Giants fan uh, and that rivalry is like eh you know like because they're never good at the same time either they're always in the that's interesting in the yeah, middle of road the, you know yep, I, same thing I have so many NFC East rivalries you know it seems like every one of those teams has a rivalry with each other, except the Giants and right. the Redskins. I don't feel like there's much there. Yeah, it's not terrible. It's not, you know, they're always like, ah, maybe we'll be eight and eight this year. That's, you know, that's <laughs> kind of kind of the wish every year. So, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, my my my, I'm a Jets fan. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, they usually fall along that same arc, right? Like, you know, you have your your Mets. Jets and then I suppose you root for the Knicks or you know depending upon you know what your trajectory is with the NBA I kind of root for both of them that's interesting to me that you're a Mets and a Giants fan yeah Met, that, Mets Giants Devils yeah. and then I don't even have a basketball team I was a Sonics fan okay and they're gone okay <laughs> and and what 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 accounts for the Giants and the, was is that inherited how did you how did you land on the Giants um if it was kind of more my brother was into him and he was my right. older brother and then it just started i don't know when you know in elementary school i just started rooting for the giants and that was it like my my dad is not a sports guy so that it was okay. kind of kind of like free to p- kind of pick my teams my grandfather was into sports but it just uh just inherited the i get no i didn't inherit the giants it's kind of like all right they're the local team they're on every week and there wasn't much thought into it there wasn't this like pass down of uh giant fandom well, but at least you had your brother. Yeah. You know, like at least your older brother was there. So that's sort of like a half inheritance where at least yeah. somebody's guiding you you in. Like yeah. I yeah, for me it was like I was I had sort of this I just arrived like when I came into football, um, Dan Marino was the stud. And so I really loved Dan Marino. Right. And then I was like, Oh, wait a minute, he's in Miami. I can't do that. Right. Like and as soon as I realized what was right 
and appropriate about how to, you know, like what the rules are in terms of sports and how yeah. you can root for things. It's like you can't live in New York and root for the Dolphins for <laughs> no good reason. You have to have like a justification. And so that's when I, and then, you know, I sort of, I think I sort of gravitated to the Jets to bring this all back to our beloved team here um, because they, they sort of spiritually were the Mets of New York football, right? They were, that was the parallel. I was like, oh, that team is hapless and awful. Yeah. That's me. I'll go root for that. <laughs> one day, one day they're going to be good, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, oh, like, look at that. The quarterback just like face planted into his lineman's ass and dropped the football <laughs> against his nemesis. Yeah. That sounds like something my teams would do. Yep. I'm going to go root for them. Yep. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's much earlier than that. But, you know, you get what I mean? Like this, the, the Jets are, to me, the Jets are the Mets of, of, of the NFL without the charm right they don't have nearly as much of the charm i agree um as as, as the mets do yeah it, it always seems a thing with new york where there's like the the quote-unquote manhattan team and then the rest are the quote-unquote island team so it's always yes. like yes yankees giants uh Knicks and Rangers, Rangers are going yeah. to be the Manhattan Rangers, team. Rangers, Rangers, then, the Garden teams. Yes. Yeah, and then your Islanders, your your Nets, your Devils, Jets, your yeah. Mets. Yep. The, yep. That's the oh oh good. The outer guys. borough teams. You have a team. The outer borough teams, right? <laughs> the redheaded, the redheaded stepchildren. Which is funny because we just look at the entire city of Philly that way, right? <laughs> <laughs> we just like, <laughs> just like. Every everything about Philly is just the redheaded stepchild. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That is true. Yeah. And then now I'm I'm actually I don't know if you guys know, but I live in Boston now. Um, my mm -hmm. my my wife's family is from here, so I'm sitting. Um, I don't know if the Red Sox are home tonight. I, I are they still playing the Yankees? I know they're free falling kind of. I like think the Mets they are. I think they swept. Uh, um, uh, oh, they got swept already. So yeah, so they're I'm falling like, apart you know, too. I, I'm half a mile. I'm half a mile from Fenway. Okay. Um and 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 you know the Boston psychosis or psychology um it's interesting like i feel like there's there's an there's sort of a chip on your shoulder slight inferiority complex that's similar between philly and boston the difference is philly doesn't seem to give a shit they they're just like whatever yeah they kind of care. embrace we're it gonna, yeah yeah we're gonna drink and punch our way through it it's fine whereas boston like it gets really like pissed yeah. about it like yeah. they get a real inferiority complex about it there's like a real resentment that goes on and and as an outsider you know as a new yorker who has been transplanted to boston it's a lot of fun to be a new yorker in boston like people are like us oh, so you're bostonian now no no no, no, no that's no. <laughs> that's, you know, that's never gonna happen i'm like i'm like an ornithologist in the wild or something like that that's I, was, what I'm doing. I was telling a story last week i briefly touched on it i went to see the mets play at fenway years ago and it, it, i think it was a sunday day game or something like that and all the fans around me are great we're just having a good time i think i was uh you know uh booing ortiz or something like that where all of a sudden security comes and they're like you you, you got to stop cursing like pointing directly at meanwhile i'm in boston <laughs> every other word is an f-bomb and even like the fans around me were just laughing they're like how the hell did you get called out out of you know i'm just sitting there in my david wright jersey like they're losing you know just having a good time and like i said sunday afternoon game too like wasn't drinking much you know i have no idea well, maybe, how did happened. you say f you maybe you said f you 
C-K instead of F-A-C-K. Right. Maybe you weren't doing <laughs> I Maybe didn't pronounce it right. Yeah. Fact, like, you might not have been pronouncing. I mean, that's amazing to me because, you know, like one of the right after COVID, we um, we, we we got bleacher seats for yeah. Fenway. It was one of the first days you could go back to Fenway. It was still relatively limited. And, um, and you know, it was like nine dollars. Because I think it was one of those things that people didn't, you know, like like the, right after vaccines were happening, people didn't realize you could actually go to a baseball game and just right. get tickets. So all of a sudden, it was incredibly easy to go to a Red Sox game, which is probably never going to happen again. Mm -mm. Knock wood. Um, and so I, you know, I took my eight, you know, eight year old son to the Red Sox bleachers for you know the first game. Was it the first game or maybe the second game? I think it was the first game that, that like was a basically regular attendance for fans in the bleachers. Mm -hmm. Just because I was like, you know, this is going to be a real slice of Boston. Yeah. And like, you know, cursing. Are you kidding me? Like, it was like 45 degrees and raining. Yeah. And I took a picture of my son. Put him, see those four guys? who all have their shirts off and are drinking the beers. Yep. That's Fenway Park. Yeah. <laughs> That's Fenway Park. I, I was blown and away when it happened, man. Mm. I'm pretty sure those guys were not, you know, saying, excuse me, sir, I hope you'll hit the ball next time. You know, like, no, yeah. are you kidding me? It was That's so amazing to me that you got, like, security on you. Literally Do you think it was just, like, one – Sunday afternoon, mom or dad who was there like that man's. That's you know. exactly what I think it was. It was probably like some little kids or something like that, and, and I don't know. Some exactly some some Karen who was uptight and just decided that I was the the cause of her kids' misery. You know, misery that day. I have no idea, but it was... that kid's gonna suck. Let me yeah, tell yeah, you. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Let me make a prediction about <laughs> that kid. Yeah. Right, that kid's gonna suck. I mean, that's come to Fenway and rat someone out for cursing. What are yep. you doing? Like you're. <laughs> You go to Fenway to learn how to curse. Yeah, it like was that's what that's <laughs> like the rest you of the see game. how he enunciated, son. That's how yeah, you do it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You see the rhythm, the cadence, that's how you do it. Did you see how he used it as a noun, an adjective, a verb, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you do a whole language arts lesson in Fenway. Uh, <laughs> but it was funny, like the rest of the game was like all the, the fans are cool. They're like, don't, uh, 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 like, you know, like, don't curse, watch your mouth, <laughs> like mocking me the whole time. But uh, man, it's a fun crowd. It's a great, it's a great park. Uh, I mean, so, I'm, I love that we're it's a so museum. Close. The baseball, it is. is. And, and then the nice thing for me is that when I go, I, I can just enjoy a baseball game. Right. I don't have to be sort of, you know, I want to be at Fenway and enjoy all of the detail and then the, the coolness of Fenway without necessarily having to be distracted by my emotional investment yeah, yeah. in the game. Whereas at City, you know, I can enjoy City. Um, plenty, but you know, mostly I'm just I'm, I'm sitting there watching, Wait, um, waiting. Way, this, this game is this game is still going on. This game is still going on. I the, don't know if you've noticed. The Mets are more like wait, on. waiting instead of watching baseball. You're just waiting for something terrible to happen at at all. That's at pretty all much. Time. Yes, that's that's what it is. You're like inevitably, you know, every once in a while, the thing that happens is great and yeah. miraculous, but it all that means is that there's another like cliff dive coming shortly after the greatness like it's always back to a the water always finds its level i believe is the term correct correct so let's dive a little into the history kind of you've uncovered you know as sure. i was like looking through the book there's two parts as you talk about like the the originations of the mets that like are amaze me and i i kind of just love these facts and you know? all one is them having the first female owner 
ever yes. to own a team like literally audit herself no inheritance whatsoever and her grand reward today is a door dedicated to <laughs> yeah 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 so you're referring of course to mrs joan whitney payson um who well, she's in the hall she's in the mets hall of fame so there's that you know she's one of like i think now 33 plaques because we just had three more congratulations ron darling by the way yeah um yes. <laughs> and um so she has that going for her which is nice um but she mrs joan whitney payson is just an amazing character and, and on top of the fact that it's a remarkable proud historic barrier breaking thing that the mets were founded by a woman the the first female uh owner uh, to found a franchise not inherit it to own it outright not inherit it, and certainly to found one that's an amazing thing like that's the kind of thing yeah. they make movies about right you know what i mean and of course of course the mets fumble this history right <laughs> of course the mets fumble this history because you know it's not enough you know like an ordinary team would have a boring history right that that's what ordinary bad teams do is that they just have a history that's sort of conventional and boring and distinctionless the mets have an amazing history and bury it right yeah. that's that's what we do and you know and and you know the one of the big reasons why and this is even messier right is is just stupid dumb pettiness right like the the real reason mrs joan whitney payson um has been sort of whitewashed from the history of the mets um is well first of all because she's a woman and she wasn't the will ponds and once they owned the team it was all about the will ponds but second of all because she was a, she was a new york giants fan and the mets of course come from two different franchises right they're, they're, they're they are, they rise from the ashes of the new york giants moving to san francisco yep. fitting that we're playing them now and the los angeles dodgers the brooklyn dodgers now los angeles dodgers fitting that we just played them mrs payson was a giants fan she owned one percent of the giants um and she was specifically a willie mays fan willie mays was her favorite player and so when the giants moved the franchise west she was she was the one own, like co-owner part owner to vote against that move and she was heartbroken and i think you know we sort of think about it in 21 2021 terms if you think about it in 1957 terms when your baseball team moves off across the country they are gone right you're not watching their games on tv right you're not picking them mm -hmm. up on the radio they're a box score on the radio right or something like that they're a radio reporter they're a box score in the newspaper mm -hmm. Willie Mays, her favorite player, is gone from her life, right? And this sort of breaks her heart. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of politics and business and whatever that leads the Mets to finally get founded. Um, but her motivating affection is the Giants, is Willie Mays. And it's one of the reasons why Willie Mays ends up coming back to the actually becoming a Met in 72. That was all her. She was determined to get Willie Mays on her team. So she dies in 75 leaves the team to her daughter and her granddaughters who run it into the ground in amazingly delightfully messy fashion like if mrs joan whitney payson is a movie the mets of the late 70s are like an fx or hbo tv series yeah. because <laughs> it's like major league stretched out over three seasons it's 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 ted lassoey only super r-rated yeah. right and <laughs> and then the wilpons come in fred wilpon sorry jeff is barely a glim you know glimmer in his eye fred wilpon comes in and he's a brooklyn dodgers guy through and through 
right? I mean, he literally, high school childhood best friends with Sandy Koufax, was a great pitcher himself, and um, pitched batting practice for the Brooklyn Dodgers, you know, as a high school kid. Blows out his arm, never has any kind of a pro career, but he is obsessed with the Brooklyn Dodgers. In fact, that's the reason City Field looks like Ebbets Field, right? Yep. Mm. Is because of, because he wanted Ebbets Field. That's all he wanted. He yeah. wanted his Brooklyn Dodgers to play there. It was a rather inconvenient fact that the Mets were playing there, but he let that slide, right? <laughs> so one of the reasons why Mrs. Payson winds up getting buried, and this is this is more omission than commission, right? Is he just loves the Brooklyn Dodgers and he doesn't care about the New York Giants. So the <laughs> New York Giants part of the Mets history is gone like it's just vanished yeah. it's nowhere to be found at city field. except when we open city field and the walls are black for some reason remember that oh uh, right uh, yes yes <laughs> my god i'd forgotten about that yeah Jeez, that, that's that, a deep cut right there. yeah that, that's a good one to, good one to bury that was it didn't even well, look you like you know i mean like that whole that whole rollout of city field was a disaster right like pretty much they had he had to put fred wilpon had to put a mets hall of fame in the Jackie Correct. Robinson rotunda, yep. <laughs> that was a late addition. And the walls the were the walls were five hundred feet away. <laughs> I mean, I just I just love the fact that like a Mets Hall of Fame was like yep. a bone he threw us <laughs> to get him off his back about building at its field. Like, what else could be more Metsy? And and so the outcome of that is all of that leads to this incredible rich history, truly trailblazing sports history has been and like on top of that she was awesome it wasn't just that she was some boring lady who happened to like baseball and found a team she was she, her name is joan whitney payson whitney is, is in the whitney museum of art like that's her family okay. she co-produced the type that she co-produced gone with the wind with a brother really? same person huh right she owned a racetrack up in saratoga she loved boxing she loved nightclubs she loved comedians unless they got too vulgar like this woman was awesome everyone loved her like all the new york beat writers who you know savaged everyone and were drunks and hated everyone they loved her they loved her and they loved casey stengel and it's just amazing to me that the mets could blow it but it takes the combined cocktail of the mets dna and an owner like fred wilpon who's obviously a very Metsy owner in his own right to um pull off something like that yeah, right to yeah. bury a history like that i hope one thing i hope and it's not going to happen because steve cohen is definitely not that guy is that it's is that in some way they would they would resurrect the history in a real way like can we can we have a mrs payson day like would it kill the mets yeah to have a mrs payson day you'd almost and, have to educate the uh the average uh fan on, on what you're talking about first you know yeah i mean you know uh, Hopefully that, you know, the book does it. By the way, the Mets have blown open the game. So if we're going to lose this, it's going to take quite a Metsy achievement. Oh, here we go. Take, we're up four runs. 6-2, six, six right yeah. So, so we're just setting the, the, the table. The perfect, raising it here. the perfect arc of this interview is it ending 7-6 by the end of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> this is, it is so on the table right now. It is so on the table right now. I mean, it is. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a little nervous, you know, there's no, right now, you know, right now there's no good end for me yeah, in, yeah. in this game. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we are, we have reached, we have reached the stage where the Mets are either going to win this game six to two and I'll feel okay about it because it was still a disastrous road trip that effectively, that probably has ended our season or it's going to get even worse. 
right? right. It's mm-hmm. like, that's the best case scenario right now is this win allows me to move on to mourning the season. That's, 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 <laughs> that's where I'm at right now. That's, that's where I'm at right now. I mean, I don't know how you feel, I... Cole, but like, doesn't it kind of feel, I mean, th- that's the thing is like, this is exactly the moments like that 1973, which I referred to, what happened there, the Mets coming from last place to win a shitty division. Doesn't that sound a little bit like, I mean, this team is better than that 73 team. I mean, so it's not crazy that something like that could happen. No, but it won't. You, you sound unpersuaded. <laughs> I, I'm not. Mike, didn't you have, Mike, I think you had another thing and then I just went on forever. There was yeah. another bit. That, yeah. Sorry. The, the I just thing, went on a Mrs. Payson tangent. No, it's all good. It's all good. The other thing I loved was how the ownership net did least like the name the Mets, but they had yes. like a, a write-in vote from the fans. And a thousand people put in, but Mets won with only like sixty-one votes because everybody put on their own name. As the I answer. mean, it was it was. Remember McBody McBoat face? Uh, remember when yeah. that happened? <laughs> I feel like I feel like the Mets were the original in some ways. Bodie McBoat face, you know, like it could have. I'm not sure I like having yeah, him. I'm, I'm sure I'm like having Devin on. It's just making me more and more miserable. Like. <laughs> 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 So like, hey, I like Bodie McBoat. So it seems so funny, right? That was a great outcome. And like, no, I mean, look, I think we ended up okay. I actually kind of like the Mets name more than all. Like, that's the irony is that I actually think we did end up with the best name. I think there's something think so, classy too. and timeless about Metropolitans that none of the other names that they were really considering um, had. But what I love about it and what it sounds like you you loved about it was just the rationales that they used for liking or disliking some of these names were asinine, just downright asinine. And one of them was the Jets. And they're like, this is dumb. <laughs> like, no one would, you know, I'm like, what? Again, the Jets just took that name. They had like Avengers. They're like, that won't stand the test of time. You know, <laughs> but can you imagine if the Mets were named Avengers now, um, how lucrative that would be? Yeah, right. Like, with, you know, with like Thor. literally Tom Smith would show up like, like, <laughs> like, of course the Mets didn't name themselves Avengers because people, and, and that's the best part is that they were like, that it wouldn't hold up, right? Or that mm. people wouldn't know what it meant and it wouldn't hold up. And because it was, I believe, even then, I believe it was still, it was like a Marvel reference, was it not? I mean, that's what sort of it was about. And the fact that they passed on it. I mean, what were the other ones? There were skyscrapers. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. I thought that was okay. Yeah. You're yeah. rolling your eyes at that. Yeah. I think in the 60s, that might have been a little bit cooler, you know, when the idea of skyscrapers right. was still a pretty new thing. I think maybe that would have been kind of, you know, and it would have gone with the logo. But like I said, I think they ended up with a good one. I you do know, too. it was. Yeah. And, and the way the vote rolled out was it was just like it wasn't even, you know, one round and you get a bunch of names and you pick. Right. It was like. They formed a panel of journalists. Mrs. Payson did this. She, Mrs. Payson put together a group of her favorite wives um, from um, among the Mets ownership contingent. She just, you know, like it was basically the wives that she liked because she, all the men were obnoxious. She gathered all the wives, says, okay, you guys pick 10 journalists. 
the 10 journalists are going to come up with a bunch of names. We're going to have a poll. We're going to have a vote on all of those 10 names. Um, and then we're going to have another vote after we run it by our marketing department. But you can also have write-ins on that next vote. So they narrowed it down and then threw it wide open again, which was an allowed write-ins, as you described. So at the very end, you had sort of a couple of ratified choices of the marketing department and then like 6,000 write-ins. Right? <laughs> it could have been anything, like literally anything. Yeah. And so the Mets end up winning with like, like you said, like, I don't even remember the number. It was like they, they won like 38 votes and they won by like four votes. So it's like democracy, not exactly. Like ultimately what happened was Mrs. Payson picked it, right? That's right. that's what happened. She went through the entire exercise and she's like, you know what? I really like the Mets. They won. They won the vote. Let's call it quits right here. Yeah. I, I, I didn't read your book yet. It's funny. When, when Mike told me he had booked you, I was at the bookstore the week prior i'm like oh i gotta pick that up because i just read uh the bad guys one like over the summer yeah and uh i so i didn't read your book i don't know if you have very these, much an inspiration yeah i don't, I don't know if the, you have some these are some of my favorite metsy moments um let's see let's see if uh, there. did you put ryan church being flown flown back <laughs> after his concussion they flew him on a plane and then he was they're like, yeah, you could have killed him. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The, you know, it's funny. I did. I should have. I mean, look, that's one of the things that happens in a book like this is that you have like there's a long riff in the prologue of like about, you know, there's a long riff about crazy injuries. Yes. That Mets fans have suffered through the years. That one would have been perfect for, for that slot. Um, but I did. I for, honestly, I think I forgot about it. That whole era. Cause that's sort of in the made off moment. Yep. I kind of, I'm really, you know, it's funny you asked that earlier that that is the one like huge gap because from 2010 to 2013 was really, really, really hard to stay up on. And yeah, even all of those names, I don't even remember half those people, you my, know, my, my messiest moment, which I was there for was, um, the closing of Shea Stadium. That was my, mm -hmm. uh, that is the, the blown save, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. The ceremony, if you remember correctly, so I was there. The ceremony to close Shea Stadium was booked for after the game, and they yes. had to win the game to get in the playoffs. So what do they do now? Instead of having the ceremony prior, getting the fans pumped up, everybody's buying in, getting there early, they lose the game in terrible fashion, and then they're like, "All right, let's bring out Seaver and Piazza," and they, you know, and it's just like. This is cool, the and the fireworks, and everyone's just like down because they had blown it twice in a row. Um, all they needed was win, and just the energy in the place was so off. You're like, here's this amazing ceremony, which they did a great job with it, but it was we just missed the playoffs again by one game, and we're sitting here celebrating now. It was, yeah, it was a like throw, weird feeling. The perfect wedding. Like throwing the perfect wedding as the Titanic is sinking. They yeah. don't really get credit. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody's going to remember the wedding, you know? It's, right. That's, that's classic Mets. That's classic Mets. I mean, that part of it, that nuance, like there's a, there's, there's a, an allusion to um, that farewell concert because it was Billy Joel and Paul McCartney. Right. Right. There's an allusion. There's a whole chapter in the book about Shea Stadium itself. Yeah. And it begins with the detonation of Shea Stadium, um, but the the game itself, there's not much of a reference to, right. um, um, just because you know it's one of those things. It's like 
there's so much losing. You know, it's funny. If you look at, if you go on Amazon yeah. right now, Mets win, by the way. Oh, baby. We're turning Woo! the, we're turning Mets the win. tide right now. <laughs> we're turning the tide. Yeah. Um, you know, if you go to Amazon, I'm proud to say the book has mostly good reviews. Yeah. But my, my, my average is being pulled down significantly by two factors. One, two categories of haters. One, the people were really angry at me for taking some Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani shots in the book, um, which I just feel like, look, if you're in New York, yeah. it's not politics. Right. Those guys are just dicks. Yeah. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like everybody knows that. Like, you know, it's like everybody hated those guys before all of you hated them. Like, it, right. come on. That's right. nothing. But anyway, yeah. so I get one star from all those guys, politics. And the snow, the real snowflakes. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah, the real snowflakes. Yeah. And then the other category of one star reviews, which is a not ex- insignificant population, is people who di- who don't like the book because I didn't put enough losing. Yeah. It. Wow. It's a four hundred page <laughs> book. It's Mets fans who are like, "You left out this, and you left out this, and you left out." I'm like, "Yeah, I cut those things because the book was six hundred pages, and my publisher said." <laughs> 400 pages uh, is too long. What are you doing? This is why so we, I had to cut all of it. This is why yeah, when the Cubs and the Red Sox one. win, I'm not that happy for them because I know we're mm-hmm. we're that's just them passing the baton down the line, and we're gonna be that Cubs soon. You know, we're, we're yeah. <laughs> I mean, soon, soon. <laughs> I'm talking about years. We're we're gonna how get. How much cl- longer do you think it'll be? <laughs> like, how much? Uh, in all seriousness, though, like I said, when you guys made the World Series in 2015, I thought I said you guys got there a little too soon because that club yes. was too young. I think just by getting there it was like, oh, we're we're upper tier now. We go got to do this. Where it's like, no, you were still growing, and you we were we it, that usually doesn't happen to us, right? In the sense that um, we don't usually make the run a year too soon. We usually have the year before the year. Right. That's always been, I mean, a lot of teams do, but that's definitely been the Mets pattern, right? 85 was the precursor to 86, right? Um, 99 in many ways was the precursor to 2000. Just we had wild cards then. So you were able to go in the world series. Right. Uh, I really thought that, you know, I thought 2005, 2006, 2007, I, also, I thought all of those were the precursor to us eventually winning, and of course we didn't. Yep. 2015, that team, I think, was on the rise, and then they trade for Cespedes, and it is the best. It turns out to be both the best and worst deadline acquisition in history, right? Pretty because much. we had him for two months. He was I was, I was, at, I was at GQ Magazine then, and I was literally arguing to friends – um unpersuasively that that he should get all-star votes or not all-star mvp votes for two months of hitting like that's how dominant he was and he's the reason why the mets got you know sort of turbo boosted a year ahead right and then ironically he is the reason in many ways that we never got back because he is the sort of emblem of all the the sort of the stupidity and messiness that came back. You him, can tell him that entire horse. story. <laughs> yeah, him and his horse. You can tell the entire story of the 2016, 17, 18 Mets through the prism of Johannes Cespedes and not have to stray very, very far from the narrative. But the other thing about that team that was very, that season that I always thought was such a bummer was, first of all, that was a really likable team. It really, was. really likable team. And and a lot of the core players from that team are still there. Um, and it, what, what sucked was... 
we ended up playing a team that was every bit as likable as we were, which was not fair. Like, you know what I mean? Like when the Mets get to the World Series, we should be the likable ones. And we played the team that had done what we just did. They got there a year too early in 2014. The Royals did, right? They got there a year too early. They lost. And I don't know about you, but like when we in game one of the World Series, and that was a close Every game was close, but in game one, like three innings in, I was like, we're not going to beat this team. Felt, we're not going to beat this team. It felt they, that way. They, they were, they, they, you couldn't get them out. They were impossible they were to get fast. out. <laughs> they did. They took every extra base. They made every smart play. They never messed up. And I was just like, we just are just what you described being there a year too early. Yeah. You don't beat the team that does that if you're there a year too early. Right. They did that the year before, and it was just like, ugh, I can't believe this happened to us because I think if it was any other team, we could have beaten them. Right. But you guys hang out. Oh, there we go. There We're we back. Go. We're back. Yes. So go ahead. Mike. Time for me to enough time for us to go enjoy the Mets victory and see the <laughs> see to- the stunned reaction. <laughs> <laughs> So, Devin, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up, um, as you kind of asked us how we found out about you, uh, seeing the story on CBS this morning on the most epic day every year, July 1st, on the show, Scott comes on here and declares the greatest contract of all time, the greatest agent of all time. Agent should be in the Hall of Fame. A.K.A. Bobby Bonilla Day. Is it almost funny now that it seems like the only person who's not embracing the day is Bobby Bonilla, technically? Well, you know, it's interesting that you should say that because this year it does seem like there was a softening. He he did uh, a commercial um, that was a joke about it uh, in which, you know, Bobby Bonilla Day was the punchline. So he, he actually um, acknowledged it in a for-profit setting. Um, you know... I think part of it is um, there has there has been no formal acknowledgement, of course. And even in the even in I can't remember what the commercial was. You guys will have to look it up afterwards. I can't remember what it was, but even in the way it was written, there was no direct allusion to it. You know what I mean? There was no direct. It was sort of a wink, wink kind of thing. Mm. And so that suggests to me. Number one, he needs to be paid in order to laugh at it. Yep. <laughs> so that suggests yeah. that. So that suggests that it's maybe he's not really laughing yet. Mm. Um, oh, he's and la- number he's laughing. two, he, he's laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> yep. He's laughing at that part, um, and that there are conditions to how he will acknowledge it, at least so far. And you know, Steve Cohen, you know, um, has. You know, he's doing, that was just a full on collapse there. That was a full on knocked out. You met got knocked out. Your Zoom met the, the end of the interview. I think, right? you think, Steve, you think Steve, Cohen, Steve Cohen heard me. He's like, this guy, what's this guy saying about me? Um, well, I was talking about Steve Cohen, right? But it was what, Bobby Benilla about him softening yeah. up and welcoming, maybe welcoming Bobby Benilla. I mean, you no, know, it's one mm-hmm. thing for Steve Cohen to say that because there's not, you know, it's not humiliating to him. Right. It's not, you know, he's not the will pond. It's not his regime. And it's, and it's, you know, Bobby's the one who's got to say yes. And, you know, one of the things, there's a whole chapter in the book about Bobby Vinia Day. And, you know, one of the things that sort of 
I sort of get at I, a little bit. And look, I haven't interviewed Bobby Benilla, and he hasn't talked about this. So there's really no way to know. But I do think that we can make some inferences from his public behavior, which is, and everybody's always like, ah, he must love it. He's laughing all the way to the bank. He gets that check. You know, Bobby Benilla was already a very wealthy man. Right. Okay. So I'm sure, mm -hmm. like, it never hurts to get a $1.2 million check. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that he doesn't love that. But I don't think that the check fills him with any sort of pride. Right. Gotcha. If I was Bobby Benilla, and this is what I was famous for, and I had had the baseball career that he had, and right. I had come from the place that I had come from and done the things that he did, I don't know how I, great I'd feel about it. I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? Your name is your name. That's sort of where I end that whole Bobby Benito yeah. chapter. I mean, it makes perfect is, sense. Yeah. You know, and and so I, I I think it's easy to want this to get to a happy ending, and I and I think it will. Like I really do think that that's where it's heading, and obviously the Wilpons being you know gone makes it possible because they're certainly never going to do it, right? <laughs> There's no way Jeff would have the self awareness or sense of humor to do that. Um, but now it feels like it can happen, but it's really going to be emotionally on Bobby Benilla. And this is, you know, a proud guy. He's still in baseball. You know what I mean? He's still, he still, he works for the MLBPA. So there's someone who is a very prideful baseball player to still be in the game at this point. And that makes me wonder if, you know, he's, he's, he's not, he gets the joke, but that doesn't mean he's laughing at the joke. Let's put it that way. I right. think. So, Devin, uh, first off, I want to thank you for your time. I'm excited to read the book. Uh, so, a two-part question. Who's your favorite Met of all time? And where can people check out the book? What was the writing process like in the book? And, um, sure. you know, all, all the stuff on where people can really go and read this thing. My favorite Met of all time is Daryl Strawberry. He was my formative Met. He is the reason I'm a Mets fan. Um I was seven years old. I did not inherit a baseball team. Um, and basically the two things that did it were the Mets colors were more fun than the Yankees. <laughs> yep. And they had a player named Strawberry and I was seven years old. How cool is that? Right? Like, right. You, you know, you make choices for very dumb, basic, simple reasons when you're seven. And Strawberry was a big part. Also, he was six foot six. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> like baseball players weren't tall like yeah. that yeah. when I was, you know, when, when I was young. And so there was something just sort of freakish mesmerizing he was so powerful he was fast he had a cannon arm i just loved him and you know isn't it metsy and fitting that that's the trajectory that he took that that's the trajectory that my that my favorite player it's like of course oh you yeah know, i didn't i didn't end up rooting for Derek jeter mine, um mine was dykes say, like, mine was dykstra dykstra is my my all-time wow, favorite okay and we actually <laughs> yeah. we had him on the okay. show you win uh, oh wow yeah. oh, right i saw yeah. that, that I, i'll have to send you to that dad is an adventure yeah. of a podcast. Basically, me and Mike don't speak, and Lenny Dykstra is just on some kind of drugs, like possibly scoring drugs during the interview, <laughs> and he just rambling. It's pretty. I I'll send really it to you. Should. Yeah, yeah. And a little spoiler for that interview: <laughs> the part he brought up about Daryl Strawberry. He talked about seeing him in the shower yeah, and yep. his nickname being the Soul Pole. <laughs> so I'll I'll let you listen to the interview to figure out how he got that nickname. But, oh, uh, Jesus Christ. Lenny <laughs> we had Mo Vaughn on, too. He was much more normal than, De than Lenny Dykstra, though. Well, that's interesting. I, you know, and had his, had, his, 
how does he feel about his Mets ignominy? He seemed he seemed okay with it. He I think he kind of talked about like the injuries had just caught up to him. And yeah, he said he yeah, liked his know. time in New York though. So that's good. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's not. There's no Mo Vaughn day, and there could easily be. Right, and I think you know it could have gone that way. It was, and I wonder if his Mets feelings would be different if he was, <laughs> yeah, you know, remembered for you know remembered for you know the most catastrophic the other thing is like it was a good deal for the Mets right? yeah like that's the other thing that I write about yeah. right like it worked great it worked great win-win for everybody involved let's yep. just you know call it a day right <laughs> so. but yeah so book info where where can people oh, get it uh, yes where can you get it well you can get it anywhere books are sold especially if um, Amazon is the place where you get it um independent bookstores are always great um if there's one near you or there's one that you prefer order it online or through one of those independent wheelhouses um i i wrote the book a while ago you know because of covid it it it, it pushed back you know I, I pushed back the release date from august of 2020 uh to march of 2021 so i was actually writing it between the you know in the 2019 off season which you may recall was the most Metsy, craziest. <laughs> that was the Oana Cespedes offseason yeah, yeah. we found out about the, the wild boar. It was also the Carlos Beltran offseason. Yeah. That was the Carlos <laughs> Beltran offseason. So, uh, and it was also not long after that, that was the aborted sale, right? That was correct. the first time. Yep. That was when Steve Cohen failed to buy the Mets at the last minute. And then COVID hit. Yeah. So that and then J Lo and A Rod were swinging in, and then uh... well, okay. So that was literally when I was finishing the book. Was yeah. the J Lo A Rod flirtation with the Mets? Like there was a brief moment when there was a line in the book yeah. about J Lo and A Rod, where I had made a joke about talking myself into it because I was like, well, does this mean J is J Lo going to be at the games? Like I'll take A Rod. I, I guess I'll talk myself into A Rod if it means J Lo. I wanted J Lo. I wanted J Lo. You see how many rings she has? You know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that seventh inning stretch would have been insane. It would have been amazing. And of course, you know that didn't happen. They broke up. Yeah. She went back to the Boston Red Sox guy. So anything, every, every, everything worked out. Like that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, go ahead, Mike. You can take us out. Yeah. Uh, one last question. Uh, looking sure. at all your other um articles that you did and stuff like that what was it like hanging out with uh boban marinovic out of curiosity boban marjanovic i yeah. love boban he's awesome <laughs> i mean that was like first of all it's just it's it's the experience really is fascinating like you don't want to be the gawking person but it's crazy and and one of the things that makes it easier to have that experience around boban is because he's kind of like yeah i know isn't it amazing? It's crazy, right? Look at, <laughs> my hands on. And like he just enjoys it so much. And the players enjoy him so much. And he's got such a great sense of humor. Um, I also I love writing about basketball. Like baseball is sort of my first love, but basketball now is is probably my favorite sport to watch and my favorite sport to write about just because the characters are so great. Um, and you can get they're 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 much less guarded, I find, than than baseball players are. They're much more comfortable just being themselves because the league encourages it. And I, I just had a great time. I just had a great time just watching people react to him and him take such pleasure out of it. 
you know, those those kinds of stories for me are always more fun to write about than sort of the games on the court. Right. Why the Mets are such a fun team to write about. <laughs> the, the funny thing was when I saw that article, I got excited and then I realized I mistook him for George Marison because I was going to oh, ask uh-huh. him, like Billy Crystal my <laughs> giant questions. And then I'm but like, you know, oh, he's, wait, he's, he's, he's very much headed that way. Right. Yeah. Like he's already been in John Wick. There's <laughs> no doubt when the guy retires, he's going to have a Hollywood career because he's got such charisma. People love him. That's awesome. He's already connected that way. So you're not far off. Let's put it that way. And I when, think I, I've never seen my giant, but I'm best betting that he's going to be a better actor than George Mirasan. When, when I waited, George Mirasan came into our restaurant and the whole staff was like, oh my God. And his wife was like six hour girlfriend, whoever it was. And he uh, he was a twelve percent tipper, so let's not talk oh, about no. him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boban would never do that. There you go. I'm telling you right now, Devin. There's no way Boban's a bad tipper. Devin, thank you so much, man. Good luck with the book. Again, the book is called "So Many: The Amazing True Story of the New York Mets." So many ways to lose. Uh, go get it. Uh, go get it right now. Go check it out, and you could join me and Devin in our misery. And then we could join Mike in his laughter. But uh, that, yes. <laughs> Devin, thank you so much, man, and uh, take care. Guys, thanks for having me. It was really fun. Great to meet you both. All right, Mike. I, uh, Devin Gordon, um, great, uh, great interview. Um, now, do you get joy hearing us talk about the uh, disaster of the Mets, or does it remind you of any of like your teams where you can kind of you can feel our pain? Well, I mean, it's fun to listen to. I mean, it's not like the Phillies had the most glorious history in sports. And, I mean, pretty much none of my teams. I mean, I guess Washington, I had my little spurt there in the 80s into the 90s. But It's just getting further and further away, though. Like, I know that feeling. I mean, hell, even the Phillies, I mean, that's my last title. And it's like, wait a minute, that was 13 years ago. I went through a full decade of none of my teams doing anything. Yeah, the Phillies, if they didn't grab that championship, there would be some guy writing a book just like Devin did about the Phillies right now. Because they – the Phillies and the Mets, like we talked about, do have like similarities, man. They're never dominant for years and years and years and years. They have these little flashes where you're like, oh, they're really good. And then like when you think they're going to be like perennially good for a while, they just <laughs> just fade away. Mm-hmm. Like they just everything goes wrong. Yeah, even like you, like you brought up, and you know, even when things are going good, you're just sitting back going, just just kill me now. Oh. Just do it now. Don't Don't wait to the last moment. Where I might actually have an ounce of hope. Please just handle the business right now. Do the collapse and let's go on with our life. My my buddy Alex literally sent me a screenshot um, <laughs> of a text I sent him like a month ago, right around the All Star break. I'm like, well, that was a good season. I'm like, I can't wait for after the All Star break when the Mets blow it. And whew, sure <laughs> enough, they are tanking hard. Four and a half behind the Braves and all. Yeah, yeah bad. But uh, Devin Gordon. All right, Mike, what do you got before we uh, roll out of here? So I'm wondering what you would think about the situation. I mean, kind of give me a sense of Jersey. Like when you go into stores and all, what's the mass situation going on right now? Are people generally masking up going in or? I'd say 50-50. Yeah, because like I don't wear a mask in the store right now. Um, I know it's coming. (laughs) It's all the uh, all the signs are pointing towards that's going to happen again. Uh, but I'd say 50-50. You know, it's uh, pretty much 
yeah, there's a lot of people still not masked. A lot of people, all the employees seem to be masked in every store. But uh, yeah, I'd go with fifty percent. Okay, it's probably about the same thing here, depending on the area. Sometimes it's seventy thirty one way, seventy thirty the other. But um, so I went into uh, a QT store, which is like a Seven Eleven up north, not just your basic convenience. I thought, store. I thought it was for only cuties, you know. Uh, you know, and then. It was nice they named it after me, but I digress. Oh, now uh, you have stores named after you, huh? Yeah, hey, when you're a god, Ugh. you get certain perks, remember? I, can, I can't today. Carry on. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm going in there. I'm just trying to grab something quick in the store. So the reason I bring up, you know, people not wearing masks is one thing. As, as I'm looking around trying to figure out what to eat, I turn my head. And there's a guy shirtless Ooh. in the store. Mm. And it's, I don't know the situation. I guess he's like working outside because he's got like the full deep red farmer's yeah, tan yeah, yeah, going yeah. on. Baked. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like pretty baked on it. But like the weird thing was he had like some cloth around his neck and I couldn't tell if it was a shirt or not. It didn't. It looked a little small. It looked like he was wearing a scarf shirtless in this convenience store. It'd be pretty great if he was wearing no shirt but the mask. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, all right, I, I like your commitment, but also your hygiene's a little, it's a little weird. Um, yeah, that's a little strange shirtless in a store. Like, I don't, I can't recall seeing that in a long, like, I don't. I don't even know if I've ever seen someone just unless it's like down by the shore. You know, that's different. Like boardwalk. Yeah, or whatever. I mean, like most stores has that no shirts, no shoes, no service. <laughs> so it kind of like threw me off, like looking at it. And I think the other weird thing was like nobody else was reacting to which kind of threw me off. It's like, are we are we going to talk about this? Is this they, they were is this reacting? The thing I don't know about. No, they were reacting, but just doing the same thing you're doing. Like, hmm. Like, no one's going to actually be like, hey, dude, put your shirt on. Everyone's just like, get the psychopath away from me. That's When you see a guy without a shirt on in a store, you're, you're not going to call him out. You're just like, grab your coffee and go. Because that's the kind of guy that, that's a loose cannon right there. Shirt off can turn into, like, machine gun spray very quickly. Mm, it is Georgia. It'd be great if you were just like, ah, all right, if that's what we're doing. And you took, <laughs> you took oh, your shirt off. Uh, I want to be a local. Let's do this. <laughs> but it was it's so weird. And, like, as I left, I saw, like, a cop pull in. So at first I'm like, all right, maybe somebody called <laughs> because of the shirtless man. But, like, as I was, like, eating my pizza in my car, like, the cop came out relatively quickly. So it, it's one of those things I'm like – did you do something? Were you just going in there for coffee? He didn't have anything in his hand. So it was, I was almost want to be like, um, it, is, is the dude shirted now officer? Um, yeah. Is it safe to go back in? <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a little strange one. Um, I mean, like I said, I, I don't even mess with the guy without a shirt. I mean, no pants, no shirt. You're just you're not getting spoken to by me. I'm just going the other way and just kind of keeping you keeping you in the peripherals. The uh, giving yeah. you an uh, what is, what does Matt call from Always Sunny ocular pat down. I'm giving you. I'm surveying you, making sure you're not a threat to me. And I'm getting either I'm getting in and out quick, or I'm praying this guy gets out quick. 
listen, I don't got time for you, shirtless man. I got my child suppositories. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think we had a little bit of longer interview today, so I think it is time to get on out of here, Mike. Um, anything to promote before we roll? Uh, I'm going to promote a fellow comedian friend of ours, John Trumbull. Uh, he's been uh, having some issues as of late with um, – he, he lost his job a few months back and he's uh, working hard. He does a lot of great work in like the comic book and uh, all that community. Caricatures he did at my wedding. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, he does incredible work and he's uh, working kind of hard to get back to work, but he came across a bad issue where there's uh, some kind of mix up with his unemployment. And uh, unfortunately he's, he's kind of maxed out with something. So if you go to GoFundMe and look up uh, John Trumbull, that's T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L, -L, he has a GoFundMe site. He's not looking for major donations or anything. He's just looking for a couple dollars to help him out to pay his rent and pay for food and stuff like that. So it's listed as Help John Trumbull with an Unexpected Emergency on GoFundMe. Also the also the winner of the uh, the Burlu 40th birthday uh, game yes. show. Yes. He is officially the only person who has a signed signature, uh, uh, face signature, or pff, face signature, that was great. <laughs> do, do you think, why don't you suggest him selling that? He could probably fetch a pretty Ooh. penny for that thing. Uh, yeah, signed photo from Michael Burlew. Yeah, it's one of a kind. I mean, uh, Joan, if you're out there, it's available. <laughs> yeah. Ruby Joan. You should say, uh, I'll get you another one, John. Sell that one, and w don't worry. I'll replace it for, yeah. for you. But, I mean, then he'll be, like, living in a mansion. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. then it's be like, come on, bro. But I will promote um, – I'm going to promote a band um, called Sleep Token. Um I'm partly promoting it because uh, they are on the record label my brother works for. But – um, he helped put together their latest music video for uh, a song called The Love You Got, which is just a badass song. And this band's really cool. They're kind of metal influenced, but they're all anonymous. Like, they're all dressed in these black cloaks, and no one knows. Like, the band doesn't list anybody who's in the band, so it kind of has this anonymous feel to it. But uh, super talented band. They got a new album coming out. So uh, go check out Spine Farm Records, who Atreyu is on. Um, who we talked to Porter McKnight a couple weeks ago and go check out sleep token. These guys are pretty badass. The video is awesome. Like the video is, uh, actually takes place apparently in the same forest that like star Wars was filmed in. So I'll, I'll oh. send it to you, Mike. It's pretty cool. But well, uh, sleep token. Well, before we go, will you, will you just admit you're part of, part of the Grant band? I'm part. No, no. Scott, I, I saw the facial hair of one sticking out of the mask. <laughs> I know. What I saw, Scott. The lead singer is is just a vessel. That's what he says. He's vessel, and he, he uh, it's just a bizarre story. But they got some really cool imagery and stuff like that. Go check out the video. Other than that, guys, uh, we're gonna get out of here. Please subscribe to us on uh, Apple and po every podcast network. Check us out on Helium Radio um, and all the other great stuff we're on. We're gonna go through all of them right now. That's it, guys. Life is funny. Laugh at it. Keep the words your back. We will see you next week. And always remember, our podcast is shirt optional.